Today, we're going to finish up this series on the art of joy. We have been in this series for the last four weeks. And the reason for this series is because when we looked at our church a couple months ago, we saw that COVID-19 has just sucked the joy out of this church. It's given us too many things to complain about, too many things to get focused on. And we said, we've got to come back and find joy in what God has given us. And so we spent some time trying to build habits, habits in our that we can put in our daily life to bring us joy. So the first habit was the, the, the habit of worship, just worshiping God, not just with songs, but throughout our lives. We talked about the gospel, how the gospel is important, not just to get us in, into uh, heaven, but every day, every day of our lives, uh, the habit of preaching the gospel to yourself. We talked about meditation on God's word. And last week, we talked about this gratitude and being thankful. All of these things we see in scripture are to bring us joy. But today I'm going to talk about the, the art of delight, of delight, delighting in God. Not so much of a habit, but of a lifestyle. But as we see through scripture, it's this habit, this lifestyle of delighting in God that is going to bring joy into your lives. And so this is, this is one thing I want to leave with you because I want our church to be filled with joy to delight in our God. So what is delight? What are you delighted? I mean, don't give me the, the church answer. Like, what do you really find delight in? Some of you might find delight on a day on the golf course where, you, where you're, you know, swinging below par. Some of you might find delight in a boat, catching fish after fish, each one bigger than the next. Others of you, maybe you delight in baking the perfect apple pie that's just perfectly brown and everybody who eats it says, I've got to get this recipe. Or maybe, maybe you delight in having the kids being loved by grandma and grandpa for the day, and you get the house all to yourself. That is delight. You get delight in a Laker championship, maybe, perhaps, we'll see. But we know delight. We, we've all experienced it. What, what is the opposite of delight? Sometimes it's helpful to kind of see the other side, but the opposite is, is, uh, just this discontentment, this displeasure in life, right? The dissatisfaction with what's happening. And really it's being bored with someone or something. So we know both sides of this. But now I'm going to ask you, where are you at with God? Where's your relationship? Do you delight in your relationship with God? My guess is there's some people here that, yeah, I do delight and I'm, I'm excited and I, and I love, I find so much satisfaction and contentment. But my assumption is there are some people that are saying, no, I'm not really there. I'm kind of a, a little bit bored. Uh, going through the motions doesn't do much for me. Today, I want to talk to you. If that's you, if you are bored, dissatisfied, discontent with God, I, I want you to listen. Would you give me the next 30 minutes just to, to listen, to hear? Because I, I want to change that for you. I, I, I want to convince you that there's so much to take pleasure in. There's so much, when we talk about this relationship with God, there's so much to find delight in. And I hope that by the end of this, you'll see that and you'll delight. You'll take a step closer and just move a little bit further and further in your delight of God. That's my goal. 
Okay. So that's what I'm going to try to do. So let's get into it. And the first thing, first thing that you need to know that you, you are God's great delight. You are God's great delight, right? If you think about that, you let it sit in. It's, it's like mind blowing the reality and what that means. So many verses talk about this. Psalm 149, four to five says, for the Lord takes delight in his people. He crowns the humble with victory. The Lord delights in his people. Psalm 147 says, his pleasure is not in the strength of the horse, nor in the, in the delight of the legs of a warrior. The Lord delights in those who fear him, who put their hope in his unfailing love. So he's saying, uh, God doesn't delight in war. He doesn't delight in strength or an army or in victory. What he delights in are those people that just trust him, that trust him with their lives, that, that just lean forward and say, I'm coming to you, God. I trust you. I put my faith in you. That's what he delights in. It's the humble heart. In Isaiah 65, he's talking about the new heaven that will come down, the new, the new heaven at the end of time and be a new Jerusalem. And he says that I will rejoice over Jerusalem, but I will take delight in my people. The sound of weeping and crying will be heard in it no more. And that day, there'll be a, it's a day of rejoicing, a, ta- a day of delighting in God's people. The tears and crying are no more. It's a, it's a time for celebration. And then one more verse here, Zephaniah 3.17. When was the last time you did your devotion in Zephaniah? You probably don't remember this verse. That's all right. I got you. It's a, it's a fantastic verse. It says, the Lord your God is with you. The mighty warrior who saves. The mighty warrior who saves. He's the one that's with you. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will rejoice over you with singing. Picture that. Who's with you? The mighty warrior. The mighty warrior is the one who delights in you. The mighty warrior is the one who's singing the song over you. I don't know if you've ever thought about God that way. Have you ever ever imagined God singing a song over you with your name in it directed towards you? See, we sing about the things we love and as a dad, so many times I walk around the house just singing these made up songs about my kids and our family or our dog, whatever it is, like we sing these, you know, just dads do it, right? But here is our father who's singing a song over you. He's rejoicing over you. He's so pleased with you. So when we say that God delights over you, it means he's satisfied with you. He's interested in you. He's excited and passionate about you. It means that you have value, you have worth. There's satisfaction in that. He finds value and worth in you. See, we as humans, we find value and worth in the craziest things, don't we? I was looking at some things this week that we as Americans or humans that we find worthy, that we find valuable. 1963 Ferrari 250 GTO sold for $70 million. It's a car, fast car, nice car. 
but $70 million. There's a watch that sold for $55 million. Not the new iPhone or iWatch, but this one was encrusted with diamonds. It was, in fact, the face was so small, I saw a picture of it, you couldn't even see the time. It was just diamond watch. Okay, it's 55 million. Here's one that will blow your mind. An iPhone 4. Yeah, you heard me, four. iPhone 4 sold for $8 million. Yeah, I mean, it had diamonds all around the edges and on the button, but are you kidding me? An iPhone 4, like you can't even give that away on Craigslist. But this one was $8 million. Uh, baseball cards. Honus Wagner, for years, has been the most expensive card. $3.12 million. Until, just recently, another one sold for almost $4 million. Mike Trout's rookie card. All right. Two cards. Over $7 million. Right? There's just, it's just paper. But yet, it's something we find value in. Here's a couple more. A Manhattan parking place sold for a million dollars. That's talking about disposable income. And then my favorite, right here, my favorite, is a bluefin tuna sold for $3.1 million last year. It was served as sushi. That's some expensive sushi. But a fish, a bluefin tuna fish, $3 million. I mean, when you look at these things that our culture finds valuable, it's just cars, it's just paper, it's a fish, it's a parking place. We find that valuable, but what does God say? He says, I delight in you. You are far more valuable than any of that or all of it put together, like hands down. God delights over you. You find value and worth and significance. He's interested, he's excited for you. That's what I'm talking about when he says, I delight in you. He means it. He means it. When I was looking through scripture at this word delight, I saw three things really that the Lord delights in. The first one is what we just talked about. He delights in you, his people. But there's a second one that it says that the God delights in mercy. He delights in mercy. In Micah 7, 18, it says, who is a God like you? who pardons sin and forgives the transgressions of the remnant of his inheritance. You do not stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy. You delight to show mercy. So God loves his people. He delights over his people, but he delights over mercy. And, and here's why I say that. This is why it's important. Listen up. It's because some of you would say, well, yeah, I get it that God delights in some people. There's, there's some people in the church that are, that are really wonderful. And I understand that God delights over them, but, but I'm not like that. I, I have a, a, an issue with my temper or anger. I have sin issues. I'm, I'm self-centered. I've got other idols in my life. I have addictions. So I, I get that he delights over them, but, but he doesn't delight over me. You're wrong. You're, it's done. Put that thought away. So he says, I delight over showing mercy. That's what I love. And, and what does God do every time that we come to him confessing our sins? Again and again, we say, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. Again, I've sinned against you. And God's not out there going like, oh, gosh, again, seriously? 
No, he's like, yes, that's what I've been waiting for. I love it when people say that because I delight in showing mercy. That's what I love to do. So doesn't matter where you're at. If you're a sinner and you come to him and say, I have mercy on me, he says, I delight in doing that. I'm happy to do that. So come back again and again, no matter where you're at. All of us, we need mercy and he delights in that. So God delights in us. He delights in showing mercy and he delights in one more thing. Probably never guess it. He delights in his son, in Jesus, right? That's the good church answer. He delights in Jesus. And why does he delight in his son? It's because what his son did in all of these three things. His son came in perfect obedience and lived a perfect life before God the Father here on earth. He died on the cross. He was buried. He rose again so that he could show God's mercy, that he could show God's grace to those who confess and those who believe and those who bring their sins before him. So he could show his love to his people. Do you see how they're connected? Three things. It's a short list of the things that God loves that he delights in. He delights in his son. He delights in showing mercy and he delights in his people. He delights in you. I want you to use your imagination for just a minute and close your eyes unless you're driving. Well, no need to close there, but go with me and just think about, think about, I want you to think about the day that when Jesus uh, left earth and went to heaven that day, what it was like when he entered God's throne room. Remember in Acts 1-8 when uh, he says, you're going to receive power. And then in 9 and 10, uh, verse 10, it's when he goes up into heaven and the disciples are watching him going to heaven. That's the day I want you to think about. What happened when he left the disciples' sight and he entered into the throne room of heaven? I'd imagine God the Father just saw him, his eyes widened, his his smile came upon his mouth and he got up and his arms reached out and he went and hugged his son. Son, I'm so proud of you. Thank you for all you did. You lived obediently. You, you were the sacrifice. So now so many, all of my beloved can come into this relationship with me. Now, all of a sudden picture yourself there. You're in that throne room. God looks at you and what does he do? What does he say? I think he says the same thing to you that he did to his son. He looks at you, his eyes widen, his smile beams, his arms open. He takes you up into his arm and just, well done, good and faithful servant. You fought the, the fight, you finished the race. He cues the angels. They sing that song that he's been singing about you. All that is going on right there in that throne room. It's God's delight in you. My guess is some of you didn't see it that way. Some of you may be ashamed or you thought God was angry at you or maybe you felt the angels kind of ushering you out like, get out of here, kid. You don't belong here. Now's not a good time. But you don't understand God's mercy, his grace, his desire for you. Just as he desires and loves his son, so he loves you. That's the mind-blowing, the cool thing about the gospel.
God's desire for you. There's a second part. Because when I was looking at this word desire, I saw how what God desires. But then I saw this other part of what man desires, what the godly desires. And so it's probably no surprise. The second part is that we delight in God. We delight in his glory. So we, we see this, that he loves his son, his mercy, his people. But now we see man delighting in God. And we're going to see this a few th- few different ways. We see man delighting in God's word, okay, his word. We see man delighting in the works of God. And then there's a third one, a real weird one. Okay, you know, it might seem out of place, but we see um, man delighting in weakness, in his word, in his works, and in weakness. So Pastor Mike, a couple weeks ago, spoke on delighting in God's word. So I'm not going to spend a lot of time there. Okay. Um, just, but just other than this, that this is, this is God's word to us. This is how we know him and hear him and understand him. And so if we're going to be in a loving relationship with him, we, we need to desire God's word. His works. We talked about that a little bit already, what Jesus did. But it says that the godly person is going to uh, delight in his work. So in Psalm 111, verse 2, it says, Great are the works of the Lord. Great are the works. They are pondered by all who delight in them. So what are the works of the Lord? Salvation. Securing salvation for us. What God did. When God said, I, I want to show mercy on my people, and it's going to happen through Christ who's going to go live and die and be resurrected to show them that mercy. So now we who have received that mercy and that grace and we've been loved upon, we get to go out and and live it. We get to be a light in the darkness. We need to bring hope where there's hopelessness. We live lives of reconciliation. We live lives of generosity. All because of the works of God, those are the things we are to delight in. We ponder them and think about them. But the third one is the, the kind of the, the weird one, right? That we are to delight in weaknesses, in weaknesses. I mean, you, you heard me right. That's what I said. But why? Why? Well, Paul says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, in verses 7 to 10, he says, I, I was getting conceited. Okay, my head was getting big, but God gave me this, this thorn in my side. It was a messenger from Satan. And I, I pleaded and I pleaded, saying, Lord, take it away. But instead of him taking away, he just said this. He said, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Okay. So then he says, therefore, I'll boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest in me. So, and then listen to this. He says, that is why for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses. I delight in insults. I delight in hardships and in persecutions. I delight in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I'm strong. So, He delights in weaknesses. All right, why? He says, for Christ's sake. What does that mean? Well, notice he didn't say, for my sake. Because he could say, I delight 
in these challenges for my sake, because when my back is against the wall, that's when I really, I, I, I dig deep, I find grit and fortitude, and I, I come through, and you know what? It makes me stronger the next time. That's what like so many great movies are about. You know, these people finding difficulties and they break through and they stand stronger and we love it. Unfortunately, some of us, we take that attitude and that mentality and we take it into the church. And then we would read something like this and we would say, hey, I delight in weaknesses and difficulties for my sake because I become stronger. That's not what Paul says. He says, I delight in these for Christ's sake so that he can be made bigger, so that he can receive the glory and the honor and the praise. Because I'm weak. But when I'm weak, that's when God is strongest. That's when he's most powerful. That's when he does the impossible. Because I look at things and say, this is impossible. It can't be done. And then I let God do his work and all of a sudden, eh, it's done. He did it. Impossible to done. Not because of me, but because of God. I was weak. He was strong. That's why I rejoice. That's why I delight in these weaknesses. It's crazy, isn't it? But that's God's ways. That's, his, that's the way he works. So how do we apply that? Well, right now, our church is in a difficult place. A place we've never been. Pastor Ray left. I'm leaving for six months. We, we have to find a, a pastor. We have to go through all of these different things. We'd say, this is impossible. This is difficult. But I delight in the difficulties. I delight in the hardship because that's when God is at work. So I suggest we just embrace it. We embrace the difficulty. We embrace the hardship. And we say, Lord, now is the time to work. Go do it. Go do what you do best. You're strong. You're powerful. You're going to do the impossible. And we're going to sit along. We're going to watch. We're going to be delighted in you. And we're going to give you praise. Can we do that, church? Can we embrace that weakness, the difficulties, the hardship, and let God be God? Let him go to work. That's what I want to see happen. Here's the last thing that because God delights in you and when we delight in him when we take pleasure in him and what he has done and in his word and in those difficult moments that's when joy is produced in our life that's the result delighting in God will bring joy delighting in God's going to bring joy in your life and much more Psalm 37 It says a couple things about that. But one, it says in verses 23 and 24, it says, the Lord makes firm the step of the one who delights in him. Though he stumbles, he will not fall. The Lord upholds him by his hand. See, it says, I'm gonna make your way firm. When you delight in me, I'm gonna guide your path. I'm I'm gonna get you from point A to B or wherever you go. You might stumble, you're not gonna fall. Think of your dad when you were trying to ride a bike and he was holding that seat. He's like, you might stumble, but I'm not going to let you fall. When you delight, when we delight in the Lord and his word and his works and in weakness, that's when he's going to direct our path. And we need that right now. You need that. We delight in him. He directs our path. 
Also in Psalm 37, in verse 4, it says, Take delight in the Lord, and he'll give you the desires of your heart. When we delight in him, that's when he gives us the desires of our heart. Now, I'm not talking about a diamond-encrusted iPhone 4. That's not what I'm talking about. <laughs> but this is when he, he gives you that, all of those, those things you've been praying for, for the people around you, and, and, and the blessings in your life, and contentment, and joy. That's when joy comes. So he directs us. He gives us the desires of our heart. He fills us with joy. I won't read all the verses, but Psalm 1611 Psalm 19.8, Psalm 21.6, all say this, that when we delight in him, he fills our lives with joy. That's what happens. All because God delighted in us. He delighted in us. He delighted in mercy and in his son to show us the depths of his love. And we get to respond to that and delight in him, delight in who he is and what he's done when all that is happening, we see joy coming up, flowing in our lives. I'm leaving here, and I'm, I'm leaving a fantastic church that I love. I want to come back and see this church full of joy, like corporately full of joy. And that means each one of you has got to be full of joy in your own life. That's going to happen when we delight in what God is doing, and we trust Him, and we seek Him with everything. That's when He's at work. Can we make that happen? I don't think that's too crazy. I think that's what the church is called to do. And this is our moment. This is our time.